0: Hey, good morning, church. It's so good to be together this morning. We're here to worship the Lord. Turn it up at home. Stand up. Join us. Here we go. Now
1: the darkness fades into new beginning our eyes to a hope beyond, all creation waits with an expectation to declare the reign of the Lord our God, we will not be moved when
2: the earth gives way. Every fear is an empty grave For the
1: reason one is overcome Now the silence breaks In the name of Jesus All the heavens cry, let the earth respond All creation shouts With the voice of triumph
0: Overcome, church. We're excited this morning as we worship him in every home around this whole area, in places that we don't even know are watching right now this morning, just blessing the Lord, blessing his name. He is worthy. We are going to sing a song. It's kind of a throwback song for us, and it's one of those songs that when you hear it, you have to realize coming out of Easter that, hey, he's overcome this world, and that he is on the throne, and that we get to worship him this morning, the living God, who's risen from the grave. He's overcome this world, and he, he is making intercession for you this morning. No matter what you're going through, what you're feeling this morning, he's got an ear. It's open for you. He wants to hear from you. Reach out to him. Speak to him. Pray to him. And this morning, church, let's just worship him, for he is a victor. He's overcome, and he's going to overcome this situation, too, in our lives. Amen.
3: I live and breathe to worship you. cross the work was finished, you were buried in the ground, but the grave could not contain you, for you were the victor.
4: come into your house and to join with our brothers and sisters online as we declare who you are, your goodness. Father, you wear the victor's crown and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I pray that as you're at home with us, you are experiencing the presence of God because those of us who are here in this house, we feel his presence. We are gathered to honor him and no matter if we are here together, if we are joining by our hearts at home. God's presence is here. So God bless you. Thank you for joining us this morning. We welcome you to this service. In just a moment, we're taking our online giving, our offering, and we thank you for giving. There's many ways to give. You can go to our app. You can go to our website. But we thank you so much for faithfully giving to the Lord. And we thank you so much for just participating in this. I hope you've started a watch party. You know, what the world reads needs right now, More than even the cure to COVID-19 is they need a cure to their hearts. And that cure is Jesus. And we are excited to be able to come online and share the hope that that is. If you're watching with us today and you have not committed your heart to him, I pray that even as we pray and even as uh, John comes and preaches his word, it's always time. It's always time to come to him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.
5: Good morning, everyone. We are glad that you are joining us online today. My name is Mike. I serve as the pastor of student ministries here at Morningstar Fellowship. We are gonna continue our worship with our tithe and offering. And here at Morningstar Fellowship, we give to the Lord cheerfully. There are four ways you can give here at Morningstar Fellowship. The first one is by mail. The second way is by going onto our website. The third way is going to our app or by texting the word give to the number below. Just a few quick announcements here for you. Uh, First thing first is that we are going to be having signups for cleanup over at the Pennsburg campus coming out soon. As we're preparing for uh, the new regulations of phasing into reopening the state here, we are doing our best to comply with what the governor is asking. So keep an eye out as we're preparing to start cleanup for those signups and details to come. Just as a reminder, Monday through Friday, we are doing our 8 a.m. devotionals on our Facebook page. If you are not a part of those yet, or you don't even know how to get to those devotionals, if you're on Facebook, click uh, in the search bar section and type in Morningstar Fellowship of Quakertown, like our page, and tune in every morning, Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. for our devotionals. Again, we want to thank everyone who is helping out the community during this time. It's awesome to see people making masks, giving out food donations, uh, and also giving to those who are finan- who financially need help during this time. Way to go. We are so proud of you all for continuing to be the church and the light in this world. And now here's Pastor John in our second segment of The Good Life.
6: Good morning. Good morning. Good to be back with you again. And as Teresa said, the presence of God is here in this place. If we've gathered in his name and we're lifting him up, Uh, I really believe God is going to minister to you and and, and us this morning. I want to share some things that have been on my heart really for the past seven weeks as this whole COVID 19 thing has started. And in that first Monday morning Facebook Bible study, I shared in that Bible study, and the topic was heroic faith. And I began to look at, you know, our heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, and what does that look like, and what does that kind of life consist of when we talk about heroic faith? And really, some things that's brought me to this is, of course, I've been in the Word of God and rereading what we're going to look at today, some of the challenging, hard sayings of Jesus. I've been revisiting Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship, The Man of God that came out of Germany in World War II, looking at the book Radical by David Platt. So looking at some of these thoughts uh, that begin to touch my heart again, what does that kind of faith look like? What does that life consist of? And also looking at Voice of the Martyrs. And uh, you can go to VoiceOfTheMartyrs.com, check that out, what's going on around the world. And so today we're going to look at, as we talk about the good life God has for us, God's purpose for your life. God's purpose for your life. And first and foremost, our God, the Creator, who wants to be your Heavenly Father, Master of the universe, wants you to know Him through a personal relationship with His only Son, begotten, beloved Son. Jesus Christ. It's his will that you come into his family, that you come into the kingdom, his kingdom, the kingdom of God, but that's only the beginning that he has for us. Someone said this. I'm going to say this several times this morning. I'm going to repeat myself. Someone said this. God has bigger plans for your life than just picking your retirement home after death. God has bigger plans for your life than picking your retirement home after death and so briefly we see at the beginning of the apostle paul's letter to the church in ephesus and and mike did a great job last week our student ministries pastor and he looked at some of these scriptures in ephesus and i just want to start with this that the apostle paul is talking to those christ followers in the city of ephesus to these ephesians and he calls them saints and that's not just a religious title but it's a declared state of being for them and for us God's people, and he says they're saints, that means holy people. And God says that because that's who we are now through his son, Jesus Christ. So if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and I'm putting this challenge out to us this morning, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he has made them and us holy through salvation. So we see God's plan for us here in Ephesians chapter 1, and it's God's desire, first of all, for us to be saved, born again into his family. And then he uses this word, he has predestined us. That's a powerful word right there, a misunderstood word right there. He has predestined us. It doesn't mean a fatalism that excludes some while accepting others. God doesn't pick and choose. You're saved, you're not saved. I accept you, I don't accept you. I reject you. You know, this is not what he's saying. This tells us that God is willing as he said in his word, that none should perish, but all should come to repentance or come to salvation. And then here's God's plan. Here it is. Here it is. Oh, this is deep right here. That we become like his son, Jesus. This is God's plan, that we become like his son, Jesus. So we ask questions. And all of us have asked these questions. questions. Why was I born? Why was I born? What on earth? am I here for? And what we need to see, it all starts with God. Not you, not me. This all starts with God. And we won't find these answers by looking within ourselves. And I want to quote Pastor Rick Warren. I think he says this very well, and this is our big idea today. The notes are online. Write some things down there at home. I really, this is not a, a, one of those feel-good, get-all-excited messages. I want you to get a hold of this today. The big idea, everything starts with God. You were born by His purpose and for His purpose until we understand that life will never, ever make sense. You were born by God and for God until you understand that life will never, ever make sense. So I'm going to say this. God has more for you than you could ever dream or imagine. And this is the day and the season we're in, God is calling His church to something more, something bigger, something better than we know right now. Right down right there, God has something more, something bigger, something better than we have right now than we know right now. I want you to remember that statement? I want to ask you, do you believe that? God has something more, something bigger, something better than we know right now. Do you really believe that statement? There was a man of God, he passed away a few years ago, David Wilkerson. He started Teen Challenge, he wrote the cross and the switchblade, Uh, he was an evangelist, years later he went back to New York City where he started Teen Challenge in the 1980s and he founded Times Square Church, it's going on today. And as a young pastor years ago, I followed him, and we didn't have internet then and email, and so I received his monthly newsletter every month, and he'd have hard and challenging words from the Lord and from Scripture. And sometimes as a young pastor, honestly, I would feel like, and I I was talking to the other guys on the team and the staff, there were times i feel like, man, am I ever going to be good enough? Can I do this? You know, am I really going to please God? But he said something, and when I saw it again recently, My memory was jogged. Back in 1987, he felt he had a vision from the Lord. And he saw a plague sweeping across America, shutting the U.S. down, the plague shutting New York City down, shutting churches down and bars down and restaurants down, a plague coming. And then out of that season, there would be the third great awakening to hit America in the world. Oh God. And I believe that that resonates with my heart. I've been saying for the last seven weeks if we, the church, of Jesus Christ. will humble ourselves and surrender to the Lord and use this as a season to reconnect with the Lord and repent and to turn our face toward Him. There was a first great awakening, not just in church history, but written in history in the early days before America was a nation in the colonies, a move of God. People came to repentance. It swept the 13 colonies. In the 19th century, in the 1800s, it's called the second great awakening. It swept our nation. People turned to God, born again. And I believe, as Jesus said, in the last days, He'll pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. There is coming a great awakening. Are we going to be ready for it, church? Amen. Let's get ready. God has more than we could ever dream or imagine. Something bigger and better than we know right now. So God has more for you than you could imagine. So let's say it together. Let's take our Bibles, and we're just going to say, Lord, I want to hear from you. I want to receive from you. Let's stand together. Those that are here, if you're at home, let's do that together and say it with me in faith that we receive the Word of God this morning. This is my Bible. This is the Word of God. I am what it says I am, I have what it says I have, I can do what it says I can do. When I read and hear the word, faith comes to my spirit. I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the word of God, and it will change my life. I will never be the same again, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated again. I don't know why I was looking at it in my Bible. I can't read that print at all. It's too small. So I don't even know why I was doing that. So God's purpose for your life and for my life. Number one, one point today, subpoints today. That's all we're going to do. I'm going to pick up tomorrow on Facebook, and we're going to kind of continue this thought this week about a radical life. But first of all, a radical commitment to Jesus Christ, God's purpose for your life we have to be careful in this regard. We have westernized Jesus. We've made him a nice guy, so kind, so gentle, so loving, a good teacher, doing good deeds. Some have even made Jesus a socialist, and he's believing in socialism, and that's a whole other topic, and and I disagree with that, and through the word of God, I can show you why he's not a socialist, but We look at Jesus and we want to make him a nice guy, so kind, so gentle, so loving, a good teacher. And Jesus, he is loving and he is kind and he's the greatest teacher, preacher ever. But at the same time, the Jesus of the Bible is radical. Say it with me, radical. He probably wouldn't be invited to speak at a pastor's church growth conference during this season. I want to say... I'm really, I'm on a renewed journey. I want to know Jesus. I I want to hear his voice. I, I want to know what it is, what Ryan's going to talk about next week, walking in the spirit, in tune with the heart of Jesus. And that's what I want you to know today. I want to know him. We as Christians in America, we have embraced values and ideas that are not only unbiblical, but actually they contradict to the gospel. We claim we believe. Jesus made some outrageous claims. He made some very challenging statements, and it seemed at times he tried to talk people out of following him. We can look at it that way. Can you imagine the 12 disciples? They're listening to Jesus, and this is good stuff, great stuff. Oh, this is, oh, wait, don't. Don't, don't go there again, Jesus. Wait, this is, this is so good, but don't, don't say that again. And then we hear Jesus, he begins to say things like, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in me. Can you imagine the look in the disciples' faces? No, not to drink my blood, eat my flesh. Sermon again. We're never going to get on the list of the fastest growing movement if you keep asking people to eat you, Jesus. See, Jesus, (laughs) we look at that, apparently he wasn't interested in marketing himself to the masses. His invitation to potential followers were clearly more costly than we're ready to accept. And just like today, there were the crowds, and in the crowd, and like we have today, and Our culture and our churches, there are those that are curious. They're curious about this Jesus. And we have the casual believers. And in the crowd, we have those that are committed. And then we have those that are convinced. When we look at this, Jesus focused on the few who believed him when he said radical things. And through their radical obedience to him, They turned the world upside down. The course of history was changed in a new direction. And I believe God is calling us, His church, to something more, something bigger and better than we have right now. I believe He's calling us to believe His radical statements and turn the world upside down for Him. Amen? So we're faced with these two questions, and these are the big questions today. Are you going to believe Jesus and are you going to obey Jesus? Are you going to believe Jesus and are you going to obey Jesus? The very same questions our heroes of faith in Hebrews 11 asked themselves. The very same questions those first century Christians asked themselves as they walked into the Colosseum and faced the wild beast. The very same questions. Christians asked themselves as they were being burnt at the stake. The very same questions that I could go on and on through the centuries, the very same questions that right now our Christian brothers and sisters in China, in North Korea, in the Middle East, in Muslim countries are asking themselves as they are worshiping Jesus behind locked doors, as they are being arrested, as they are being tortured, as they are dying for their faith right now today. Am I going to believe Jesus, and will I obey Jesus? And the very same questions that we as Americans need to start asking ourselves today, because the times, they are changing. They're changing. Are you going to believe Jesus, or are you going to obey Jesus? So I'm going to invite you today. I want to invite you today to join me. If Jesus is who he says he is, If the Bible claims the promises are rewarding as the Bible claims, join me. Can we discover that satisfaction in our lives and success for the church are not found in our culture and what the culture deems most important, but our satisfaction and our success will be a commitment to the radical statements of Jesus Christ is he is is he who he says he is and is this word true the word of god let's look at some of these jesus radical challenging statements the hard sayings of jesus or what we might call the high cost of following jesus so jesus is calling us to radical not comfortable i like comfortable how many like comfortable yeah but he's calling us to radical, radical. You know, I was reading about some roller coasters. I still like to ride roller coasters. Some go 60 miles an hour, some go 80, some go 120 miles an hour. I still like it, up and down and all around. But when we talk about life being like that, we don't like that so much. We like comfortable, lazy boy. We like it comfortable. Jesus calls us to radical. So we look at some of these statements. Luke chapter 9, starting with verse 57. Three encounters with three men. The words of Jesus. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, radical, challenging statements from Jesus. Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having putting his hand to the plow is fit for the kingdom of God. Putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for for the kingdom of God. And looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And we look at these statements, we go, wow, this is hard stuff. Get a little context. The Jewish teachers, the rabbis, Jesus is a teacher, a rabbi, they would use a form of teaching called hyperbole. Hyperbole, many times, extremes. Jesus, now I'm going to break it down a little bit, is talking about the high cost of discipleship, the high cost of following him. And if we take these statements at face value, and we've done this many times, we think Jesus is trying to talk us out of following him, and he isn't. But he is saying, count the cost. Take this seriously. I want you to write that down at home. Take this seriously. Count the cost in following Jesus. We see there are demands involved in following Jesus, not just emotional enthusiasm. Jesus is calling us not to place our security and our trust in our finances, in our jobs, in our currency, in our businesses, in our careers, in materialism, in our stuff, because we know right now in the last seven weeks that can all change. Jesus is calling us to put our security in him. Our trust in him. He says in verse fifty nine of verse sixty, it's loyally to Christ first and foremost, because Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And then in verse sixty one and sixty two, It's not about losing our salvation. Anyone putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is not fit for the kingdom of God? On face value, we think, can I lose my salvation? That's not what he's talking about right here. It's not talking about losing your salvation. Our God has powerful grace, amen? Amen. It's all about serving in his kingdom, which requires undivided attention. If we're half-hearted disciples or followers, we'll be eliminated and miss out I want you to hear this, on God's best for our lives. Miss out on God's maximum use for our lives. We'll miss God's best for our lives. And we may have to sit on the bench and watch from the sidelines. I don't want to sit on the bench and watch from the sidelines. God has more planned for you and me, more than I can imagine or think possible. And we're afraid to abandon ourselves to this radical Jesus because we like the nice Jesus. We like the safe Jesus. We like the comfortable Jesus, the lazy boy Jesus. And then Jesus takes it a little further, and he talks about leaving all to follow him in Luke chapter 14, 25 through 33. We look at that. I'm going to read that here. Now, great multitudes went with him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Wow. He kicks it up a notch. And it even seems much more difficult and harder once again. And once again, it's hyperbole. He's emphasizing this. And we, of course, are not to hate our families. Jesus is love, and and he teaches us to love and honor one another, but you see, we have to love him in a way that makes our closest relationships in this world look like hate. Our love for Christ must be greater than our love for our mothers and our fathers and our wives or anyone else allegiance to him is first and foremost, and when we love Jesus more, we will love our wives correctly. We will love our husbands correctly. We will love our children correctly. We will love others correctly when I love Jesus first and foremost. I'm so thankful. You know, a couple weeks ago, Teresa and I celebrated our 40th anniversary, and I wrote some things I put out there on, on Facebook. I'm not good about that. I'm good about getting a card and writing a card. I'm not really good about posting on Facebook, but I did it. And the one thing I said is I'm so thankful that Teresa loves Jesus more than me. And because she loves Jesus more than me, that's enabled us to stay together for 40 years and loving that we're still together after 40 years. So that's what Jesus is talking about. This is what he's talking about, that we love Jesus him so we can love others correctly. We must die to self-centeredness and be willing to face whatever comes our way for Jesus Christ. He's not talking about being a Christian. I think you're figuring it out. Jesus is talking about being a disciple, which means a total commitment to Christ and his purpose for our lives, a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple. Jesus never talks about being a Christian. That label was put on followers of Jesus Christ years later. He's talking about being a disciple, and we struggle with this because what we see and believe, and we believe this is the best, this is as good as it gets, and we settle, and we have trouble believing that God's way is best. Anybody ever struggle with that? God, this can't be the right way. This can't be the best way, but His ways are higher Than our ways, but we struggle with that. What we see, we think this is as good as it gets. We think this is God's best for us. And When God calls us, we struggle with that at times. God has more for us in store, more than we can think, dream, or imagine. His ways don't make sense to us. God has a great plan for your life. His rewards are greater. God, I'm going to say it again, has a bigger plan for your life than just picking your retirement home after. Death. And I want to challenge us today to stop settling for the shallow, for the easy, for the comfortable, stop settling for the safe. God is calling us to launch out into the deep, and out into the deep is where the big fish are. He's calling us to love when it's difficult, to serve with those who we think aren't worthy, and to give when it's challenging to give, to follow Him no matter what the cost God has more. I want the more. How many say, I want more today? I want the more he has for us. So here's a question. Are you a Christian or a disciple? God is calling us to discipleship. As I said, a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. See, it's time to have the attitude. I I I want us to get the attitude. Come on, church. Let's get the attitude. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. I don't want to set the bench. I don't want to be in the sidelines. Man, I wanted to be on that basketball court years ago. I don't want to sit on the bench. I wanted to be on that ball field playing first base. I wasn't going to sit on the bench. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Lord Jesus, I want the more that you have for me. I want the life that you have planned for me. Now, here's a real challenge. This is a real challenging one from Jesus in Luke 9. Let's look at this challenge. Verse 23 26, then Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever desires to lose his life for my sake will find it. And then verse 26, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul. So this is the great paradox in following Jesus Christ. If we lose our self-centered lives, so we don't take up a cruel instrument of punishment. They, they, they knew what the cross was. We don't, in our day, be, we were taking up the electric chair. We're not taking up a cruel instrument of punishment. We're not actually carrying that. But if we would die to self-centeredness and embrace the life that Christ has for us, if we would simply live life God's way, then we would really experience the life that He has for us. We'd experience His presence. We'd experience His power right now, His purpose right now, His provision right now, and for all of eternity. If we would live the life that God has for us, live life His way and not my way or your way, if we live life God's way, we would experience His presence now, His power now, His provision right now, His purposes right now, and for all of eternity. Jesus said, I have come that you would have life and have it more abundantly. Do we really believe that? His life is the abundant life. He's for you, not against you. The devil doesn't want you to believe that God has a wonderful life planned for you. Oh, you get saved, but I want you sitting on the bench. Oh, you can get saved, but I don't want you to serve the king of kings. Oh, you can get saved, but I don't want you to be radical for Jesus. Because the devil knows if we'll get radical for Jesus, his kingdom is shaking and his days are numbered. Let's get radical. for Church, this is the day. This is the hour. This is our opportunity. This season that we are in is a prep time, church get ready time. That's what's on my heart. The world as we know it is changing. There are people that are hurting and confused and frightened, and simply put, people need Jesus. Do you know somebody that needs Jesus? Do you know somebody that's confused and hurt and frightened right now? This is where we come in as the church of Jesus Christ. Are we going to be Jesus' church? Are you a Christian or a disciple? You see, we've been molding Jesus into our image, making him into something that we are comfortable with, and that's the problem. We want to rationalize these difficult, challenging passages away and the thing is, this Jesus isn't supposed to look like us, like you and me. We're supposed to look like Jesus. That's a good place to say amen. We're supposed to look like Jesus. He's not supposed to look like us. We need to be disciples. This world needs us to be disciples more than ever before. You see, I mentioned Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship, and the theme of his book is this summarized in one sentence. When God calls a man, he bids him to come and die. It's a high cost to discipleship. We've read the words of Jesus. But I wonder if the cost of non-discipleship is even greater. If we don't show up now. I wonder if the cost of non-discipleship is greater. Here's another call from Jesus. It's a call to treasure Mark chapter 10, verse 17, the rich young ruler as we know the story. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. We read that. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way. So whatever you have, give to the poor and you have treasure in heaven and come take up your cross, follow me. But he sat. but he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. We read that. There's a lot right there to unpack. But briefly, if we're not careful, we misconstrue these radical statements from Jesus in the Gospels, and we begin to think, does he really want the best for me? And, and if we be honest with ourselves, and God, there's times we thought, since we've accepted Christ as our Savior, started on this journey, does he really want the best for me? Does Jesus really have the best for me? I'm going to tell you, he does. So, Jesus was not trying to strip this man from all his pleasure. I want you to see that today. He was offering him the satisfaction of real eternal treasure. Jesus was saying, it will be better for others And you, when you abandon the stuff, the idols that you have resurrected or erected in your life, I should say, the things that you are holding on to. You've already broken the first commandment. You have an idol before you. It's not that you're wealthy. It's not that you're rich. It's that you worship those things. The things have you. You don't have things. So here's another big question. Is Jesus worth it? Do we really believe Jesus is so good, so satisfying, so rewarding that we'll leave all in order to find our fulfillment in Jesus Christ, in Him? Do you believe Him enough to obey Him, to follow Him wherever He leads, even when the crowds in our culture or maybe even in our churches turn the other way? To some degree here in America, in our churches, we have blindly and unknowingly embraced values and ideas that are common in our culture, but unlike the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he taught. I believe we're being called today, during COVID-19, in this season, God is giving his church a window to revisit the words of Jesus, to listen to them, to believe them, to obey them. to not i want to say this we need this biblical gospel because the cost of not doing so is great for our lives great for our families and great for our churches all around us here at morning star fellowship our first core value is this it's all about jesus that sounds nice doesn't it it's all i hope it's all about jesus not the comfortable jesus not the safe jesus not the lazy boy Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I want that to be true for you, true for me, true for Morningstar Fellowship, that it really is all about Jesus. I want you to experience him. I want you to know that you can delight yourself in him. And we're saying it's all about Jesus for this, for the sake of $6 billion people in our world who have not yet heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's for the sake of 26,000 children who will die today from starvation or from a preventable disease. For the sake of our world that is scared to death of COVID-19 and they are frightened of their future. For the sake of a relatively ineffective church and in our culture. For the sake of my life, my family, this church, your life, your family, Morningstar Fellowship. I want to risk it all in the time that God has for us before he returns, I believe we need to abandon ourselves to the radical Jesus, the only one who can change lives, Jesus. That's the Jesus I want today. I want his purpose for my life. And so here's a question. I've asked a lot of questions today. What is Jesus worth to you? Are you going to believe Jesus? Are we going to believe Jesus? I got to look up my life. I know when God called me, 17, 18 years of age. I can see where I was the moment He called me to serve Him, uh, total commitment to Him. I know I only have so many years left, what could be called a full time ministry. I only know I have a certain amount of years here at Morningstar Fellowship. Am I going to believe Jesus? Am I going to obey Jesus? Are you going to believe Jesus are you going to obey Jesus? God has bigger plans for your life than just picking your retirement home after death. I want the more that Jesus has. How many say, I want the more that Jesus has for my life. I'm going to trust him that his ways are higher than my ways. I'm going to trust him that he has better, bigger than I could dream, think, or imagine. How do we do that? Okay? Here's the seven-step plan. No, it's not a seven-step plan. How do we do that? We like a plan. Do this, do this. How do we do that? How does this become a reality? Here's what we're talking about. We surrender. When I lose my life in Jesus Christ, that's where I really find my life. See, being born again is just the beginning. He has a whole life for us. When I lose myself in Jesus, that's where I really find life. He has come that we would have life and life more abundantly to the fullest. He's calling us, church, get ready. I honestly believe, and I believe for many, many years, that God was going to grant me the privilege of being part of one of the greatest revivals to ever hit this nation. I want us to be part of that awakening, a move of the Holy Spirit where we turn the world upside down. And it starts with, I surrender. The great man of God who died, I think it was last year, the great evangelist in the 20th century, Billy Graham. Every crusade, he had called people to commit their lives to Christ, that He would be their Lord and Savior. They would sing this hymn, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. It's not a seven-step plan. It's when I surrender. When I lose myself, I find Jesus. Church, God's called us to big boy faith. Let's put our big boy pants on. We think somehow this is not going to be a good life. That's why I'm calling it the good life. I believe his ways are the best, amen? Let's go for it. Let's get ready in this season. Let's get ready for that spiritual battle. There are so many people getting ready to come into the kingdom. This is our part. Are we going to believe Jesus, and will we obey Jesus? Let's stand together and worship If you would pray that prayer with me of fully surrendering, saying, not my way, but God's way. Not my will, but Jesus' will be done in my life. I don't want to just be a Christian. I want to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I want to be a disciple. That's what Jesus was all about, calling us to follow him, to be a disciple. The disciples heard Jesus, those original 12, Teach and preach all kinds of things, more than what's recorded in the Word of God. He did more than what's recorded in the Word of God, but more was caught than taught because they followed their rabbi, and really what that means, they live life with him. They followed him, saw his life, took part in his life, saw his actions, saw his reactions. What he was all about in fact they followed him on the dusty roads and it means they ate his dust in his footsteps more is caught than taught we're going to become followers when we live it out in the good times the bad times but the enemy is meant for evil right now god's going to turn it around for good because the church is getting stronger we're going to be disciples if you'll pray that prayer and say i want to follow christ fully follow Christ, fully devoted, let us know, email us, text us, let us know. We want to pray with you, get you connected, in an online group, in a Zoom group. We want to give you some resources. We love you. It's an exciting day for the church.
1: for John's word today we thank you that you are just able to be the one, the only God the one that we follow the one that we reach out to in times like these with faith faith that comes that surpasses all understanding Lord we just thank you for that and Lord we just look to look to you Season is over There is a cloud Beginning to swell To the skies Heavy with blessing Lift your eyes Offer your heart Jesus Christ Open the heavens, now we receive the Spirit of God.